So our reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And I'm reading it from a church Bible, so I'm taking off my glasses. Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the first and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's our word today. Steve. I want to welcome Steve, who I've known since about 2003. Yes, I think so. Amazing man. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, brother and father, well, father figure in, in our lives. So I commend him to you um, and bless you mm. for everything you've got for us today and for what the Lord is mm. bringing to us through mm. you today. So thank you. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Right. It's lovely to be with you. I bring you special greetings from the Crags. Simon and Sam were, were at a meal with them on Friday and they say, second to well in Garden City, this is the best place in their life. <laughs> Perhaps with you, it would have been the other way around. It's lovely to be with Dan and Tanya. We especially value them as friends, and particularly because even before we had met them, they had met our Sam, because he was home alone in that critical point between university and stepping out into the world of work. What he planned to do had fallen apart, and so he was part of a young adults group they led, and they discipled him. Uh, and that led him into what he's still doing 20 years later, which is working with the poor and the hungry and the needy around the globe, working for development charities, for God. And we, we do especially thank you for that, folks. Can we pray just before I start? Lord God, we just pray that you will lead and guide us. Help us to see where caring for creation fits in, and where perhaps it doesn't. But Lord, we thank you for this amazing world you've made. Lead us and guide us, and lead me too now. Amen. So, why care for creation? A bit of a, a story about me now. I have the second slide, thanks. Um, I've, ever since I was first in the pram, I used to feed the ducks, I'm told, or was told by my mother, and then I had every ladybird bird book in sight. I had I spy birds. Uh, and over time, I then began ringing birds like this lovely goldfinch. And just before I went to university, I got my bird ringing license. So that's where you put little metal bands on birds' legs and release them to see where they've migrated to. 
and I still do it. I had a particularly special place called Bardsey Island, and in the month before I went off to university, I gave my life to Christ. I'd been brought up in the church, but I'd never actually reached that point of decision. And on Bardsey Island, on a hill above the Augustinian Abbey, I gave my life to Jesus. And so off I went to university with my ringing license and with my Bible, seeing where God would take me. And the answer is over the next 30 odd years, he took me to all sorts of places. He took me to Africa, with Jean to the Middle East and to the Far East. He took us around the UK and I'd go with my Bible and we'd join a local church with my binoculars and my ringing pliers and I'd buy the relevant bird book to where we were living. But those two things went in parallel. They never connected. And in that time I'd been out to Arosha, the Christian Conservation Organization in Portugal when the Harrises were just starting it up in the mid 80s and this looked interesting. But in 2005 I was saying, what's next God? And so I resigned from what I was doing and I went off to London School of Theology where I met Philip amongst others. And I did the first year of the theology degree, including a course on God and creation. And I signed up to be a volunteer with a rusher in the UK, not quite sure where that would take me. I thought I might go and ring birds somewhere exciting for a rusher. Uh, but as I went through that year, I finally began to put these two bits of my life together and to realize that actually God's world and caring for it was an integral part of my life as a Christian. And this was a real light bulb moment for me. And so as I volunteered with Arosha through that year, I said, rather than what exciting person can I go to, I said, what can I do to help you? And they said, be our chief executive. So I said, fine. So I was a volunteer chief exec for Arosha for seven years, and I was the chair of trustees for another six. In fact, I did both jobs for a year. And so for 12 years, I was right in the middle of Arosha. And it's... Make, the whole theme was about mobilizing Christians and the church to care for the natural world. And this was really exciting to me because finally I could see how those bits fitted together. Dave Bookless has written a book called Planet Wise where he speaks about the Christians and the environment and where he says, well, what are the options? Is this invidious? Is it irrelevant? Is it incidental? Or is it integral? Is it essential to the gospel? Now, there's no prizes for guessing what I think. <laughs> I also think it's integral. Because, as a good Baptist, I love dunking people. And I've done this in all sorts of situations over the world, in Middle East swimming pools and in the sea and in the pool in our church. But I've had equal joy from seeing areas of desolation restored by Christians taking caring for the world seriously. The Anglicans speak about having five marks of mission. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to teach them baptised, to respond to human need, to transform unjust structures, and to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. 
And these were established nigh on 20 years ago, but it's really only in the, I think, in the last three or four years, the churches, and the Anglican Church in particular, have begun to understand where that fifth one fits in. Not on its own, but as an integral part of what mission is. Um, they ran missions from Cliff College, and wherever they went, caring for the land was part of what they did, and caring for the community. And as I went to various places to speak for Arosha, I went to New Wine. And I arrived early at something and sat next to this person. And the place was almost empty. So I began talking to him about the importance of caring for God's world. So he, he noticed began shuffling along the row. Have, have you ever done this with people? And he said, oh, he said, give me a list. I said, there's no point in me giving you a list because it's just another thing to do. I said, caring for creation is actually something which needs to be part of. Unless I said you believe in your heart, this is important, there's no point doing it. I could see he was a bit huffy with me, but it was what I thought was right, because it's about the heart, not the head. And so, if you go away from here today with a sense of duty to do stuff, I've failed. If you go away from here with a sense that God has put it on your heart to care for his world, then God has spoken. Secular environmentalists were asked a few years ago what were the top five things that would save the planet. And many of those things you would expect, like local energy generation, and then it was beyond Kyoto, and solar power. But the second most important thing they said was faith groups getting active. They said, if you believe that God made this world, you should be doing something about it. Whether you're Christian or Muslim or whatever. You can't stand on one side whilst the secular organisations do it all. You need to be in the midst of what's going on. And these were secular people speaking. Because the global reality today is that we live in hugely challenging times. You can see the trends on climate change and on nature and habitat loss. You can see the known solutions in terms of energy conservation different methods of farming, you can see what's required. And a lot of these conversations will take place in COP over the next two weeks. And we need to be there at the table. But there's a theoretical idea or is there a biblical basis for it? So why should we care for God's earth? Well, first and foremost, because God made the world and he loves it. Because we're told God created the heavens and the earth. When God had finished, we were told God's creation was, was it a bit good? A tiny bit good? It was very good. He said, this is great. And John 3 says, for God so loved the world. And the word is cosmos. That's, by evangelists, it's often seen as people. But why should... We, we have a special place, uh, the psalm says, a little lower than the angels. But God loved all that he made, whether it's people or birds or flowers or insects. It was an integral whole which God has made. And this is quite humbling. And God created you and I to look after it. 
Bill Bryson, the secular author, said, there's no one else. And he's right. Because Adam and Eve were put to work to care for the garden, weren't they? Caring for God's earth is bound up with being made in God's image. And sustainable use is written into God's law, the whole concept of Sabbath from Exodus chapter 23. So we have a role there. But it's gone wrong. Why? Is it because of everyone else? No, it's because of us, the human race. Because human rebellion affects the whole of creation. Back in Genesis, and Romans speaks of this groaning like childbirth. And that broken relationship with God results in a broken environment. Isaiah and Hosea have this phrase about the earth being dried up and withered because when the people went from God, they despoiled the land as well. I have a favourite area of North Yorkshire as you walk along the coast between uh, Saltburn and Staines. You reach a bit which is like a moonscape. This is 150 years ago there was alum mining there. And the air is destroyed forever. It's not recoverable. And so there are huge challenges for the world in caring for the world of which God has made. But God has a purpose for it. Because God's saving work in Jesus extends to the whole of creation. The earth will be renewed. And there's that lovely passage in, in Colossians, which Tanya read so well. It's my it's one of my favourite passages of the whole of the Bible, Colossians 1, and particularly those verses. The earth was made through him and for him, but Jesus, through God, was the creator of all that he made, and it was very special. And people put right with God is good news for God's earth. There's this healing sense. And I've seen this in, in communities where Arosha has been working where they have got things right in terms of the management of the local environment. And things change. And I'm not sure what your view of the future is, but uh, I believe when Jesus reappears, he will reign on the renewed earth. It's not something brand new, it's this earth renewed in some way. And so, you and I were made to care for God's earth. Caring for God's earth is part of our service to Christ the King, establishing his kingdom on earth as in heaven. And caring for God's earth anticipates the renewed earth, where God will dwell in his people when Christ reappears. So how did Arosha approach this and why? Well, Arosha had five values. They were written by the famous theologian John Stott and the five C's of Christian conservation, community, and working across cultures, and in cooperation with others. Arosha is a tiny environmental charity, but it has a global reach because it works alongside and with others. It has about 20 expressions at the moment around the world. It's, I lose track as new ones keep on popping up. And they're always based around a particular local project. And Jean and I visited about eight of them, I think, now over the years. Uh, in Kenya, they work on the edge of the, uh, the 
the forest there, the Arubuki Sokoko forest, and trying to encourage the people to take care of it. And they work through the children, through environment classes, and they give scholarships to the children who go to secondary school. And then they use those students as guides in the local mangroves, and they have a hide in the top of a tree. And so the people see the value in caring for the, the world. They replant. And it's a, a subject of conversation with the local people and through the local churches. In Arusha, India, their focus has been around the elephants. Arusha, India is in Bangalore. And just to the east of Bangalore, you have the Banagata National Park. And they have about 80 Asian elephants. You know, the, the National Park keep, keep, keeps on getting nibbled by farmers, and the elephants come out and they eat the crops, and that's, this is a source of some conflict. But they built a process of putting in chili tobacco ropes, and the elephants were reluctant to cross these. Uh, and when Gina visited a few years ago, the rangers, spoke, who were again secular, spoke highly what Russia was doing here. And I read last week, the latest idea is to put in elephant crossings. Because this forest has these wiggly roads going through, which the locals career down at high speed. And there have been a couple of serious accidents, killing elephants and, and people. And so they've put in some laser beams along the roadside. So when elephants cross these, a big sign lights up saying, elephants crossing. And that has had a real impact. Again, that's being moved to other national parks. And so it's about working alongside. In the UK, Arosha started at a place called Minette, a country park between Southall and, and Hayes, uh, and created what was a waste ground into a, a park. It's still there. I go there once a month to ring birds with the founder of, of Arosha. It's not, Arosha has no direct involvement anymore, but it's, it's been preserved for, hopefully, for as long as we can see. And Arosha then moved to found or to work on some allotments uh, because we brought in someone from North India to work with the faith communities. And Kylan came in and he said, I want to sort an allotment out. I said, fine. And so he went off and got an allotment and then agreed with one or two locals whose allotments had fallen in disrepair that he would run theirs as well. And he announced it. And he came back on the first day with a face really long. I said, what's wrong, Kylan? He said, too many people turned up. He said, 70 people came. I said, that's great. <laughs> so I said, we'll buy some more tools. And he put in a rotor system because the council had complained too many people were on the site. And that project ran really successfully. I think in the whole country it was the most successful interfaith project in caring for God's world. And then as that project progressed, Kylan found another area, uh, an area of waste ground bordered by the pub and the school and the church, where it had been used as a drug den for ages. And he went in with skips, got Ealing Council permission and cleaned it up. And this area called Wolf Fields. Originally, it was where they built, br made bricks for Buckingham Palace. 
and now it has a nature reserve, it has an allotment, it has beehives, it has a pond, it has a sensory garden, and locals come in and they use it. have to be supervised so it doesn't become a, a drug den again. The schools use it as, uh, as part of their forest school thing. And it's been a real point of real centre. In, on the Suffolk-Essex border, there was a nature reserve created by an Arosha friend. He died. And his wife said to Arosha, do you want to buy this off me at a special price? And so they did. Uh, and so they created this nature reserve called Fox Earth. Yeah. A haven for dragonflies. Countryfile came down to look at the nature reserve. It was, it was on again recently, with lakes and all the, these, it's one of the few dragonfly, or oh, Odonata I think is official term, dragonflies and damselflies in the country. And countryfowl came and people said why it was important to them to care for God's creation and it was a huge opportunity. And they were on again rec recently and the same message came through. The Leebrook Valley in North Derbyshire, was where Cliff College first went on one of their missions and they set up a nature reserve along the valley there in the middle of the town of Dromfield. It's still going 20 years later, local churches still meet once a month and I walked through it with a friend and I discovered he didn't just know about the nature, he knew every single individual who walked through that reserve by name and by family history. And it was, to me, it was a tremendous example of people loving what was around them and loving the people. Norm was a very special person. His wife died recently, went to her funeral. But Norman's still going out and he's still taking that bird watching by Christians and actually by non-Christians. He's got someone who takes him out every week and the deal is he won't talk about God. So Norman goes out and talks about the wonderful things God has made instead. And he still goes every week. It's important we have a say in terms of the world around us. In 2009, I remember being part of a campaign before COP, COP 15 in uh, Copenhagen. I'm on the, the younger version of me on, on, on the right there. With, uh, but it was a blue wave time. That, that's why I have blue on my face with uh, a number of the then luminaries in the churches. But these are still going on. There's a, a demonstration next Saturday in central London. If you go on the Tear Fund website, you can go along yourself and you can be part of saying, this matters to us in the midst of COP. Russia struggled to know how to engage churches. We'd had something called eco-congregation which was paper-based. And we said, no, this isn't working. We only had 200 churches signed up. So we kicked off eco-church, which was web-based. Rowan Williams spoke at the opening in uh, the crypt of St. Paul's Cathedral. And it was built around five modules, around worship and teaching, the church buildings, church land, community and global engagement, and lifestyle. And we gave awards. Plaques uh, made out of <coughs> pews which were no longer used, of gold or silver or bronze. And to date, over 5,000 churches around the country have signed up for this. Over 2,000 have got bronze awards. 250 have got silver. 
In Wellington City in Christchurch, I've helped them through to, we got silver last month. We're now seeing how we get gold. Gold is tough. You've got to do all sorts of things. But bronze is pretty easy, and so go for it. So what? What do I encourage you to do as a church and as individuals? Five things. Firstly, engage with the theology. As I said, it needs to be in your heart. You need to think it's important rather than just another job. Dave Buckless's Planet Wise, I think, is terrific. If you want to dig deeper, Richard Baucom, The Bible and Ecology, I found really helpful. Now, there's lots more, but if you want one book for starters, go with Dave Buckless's Planet Wise. Get one or two and pass them round. It's, uh, you can read it surprisingly quickly. Secondly, enjoy nature and share it with others. There's a sparrow on our local gutter, house sparrow and a tortoiseshell butterfly on the flowers at the end of our garden. But right through my Christian life, I have taken people looking at nature. And I've still got people saying, I remember when you took me ringing 30 years ago. It really touches people when they are with someone who actually is passionately interested in what's around them. My kids and grandchildren have got dragged around forever and actually generally enjoy it. So enjoy nature. It's the point Jean made about, uh, uh, about conquest. Th thirdly, it, it's about you and I. We need to rethink how we live. It does start with me or with your family. What food do you eat? I'm not yet a vegetarian, but I'm being challenged in this whole area of food. Um, Arosha talks about the loaf principles, local, organic, uh, animal-friendly, and, and fair-traded. And it, don't just eat. Prayerfully think about what you're eating and see where, where God is taking. Think about where you travel. Pre-COVID, I used to use public transport a lot. I've not quite got back into the habit, but I need to. What do you buy? What does a family do you talk about? Ruth Valerios who also kicked off uh, Eco Church has written a book called Ellie's for Lifestyle, which has been updated. That's one really practical book. For our church, I wrote 26 uh, uh, things for our bulletin, taking her theme from A, a to Z with a challenge for what we did each week or each month for, for two years. For, uh, I, I did them once a month, so it lasted about two years. Yeah. But think about it, pray about it. And finally, no, fourthly, join some form of action group. Whether it's, there may be a transition town movement, there may be a local nature group, there may be a campaign. I don't know what's right for you. Eco church in this church. Write your MP. I wrote this last week thinking cops start in the week's time. It started already. But write your MP anyway. And make it personal. There's lots of templates from the tier funds of this world. I wrote to my MP this week. And I said that I was concerned about what was happening to farmland. And I said over the last 30 years, what had happened to farmland around my house with surveys I was doing and how birds had declined. I offered to walk him round the farmland myself. And I'm waiting to hear excitedly. But it's our right to do it, so take it on. And finally pray. 
Do pray over the next two weeks in particular for COP27. There's lots of material from Tia Funding, Christian Aid, and from Arosha. Do it individually, build it into your own prayer life, your family's prayer life. And over the next couple of weeks down, I think it'd be great if you can keep this in, in your heart as, as a church. And it may be that letter to your MP follows COP once you see what the UK government has committed to, either to encourage them or to ask them to do more. But it's important we engage. And it's important we engage because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Praise God. Can I pray for us all before we move on? Lord God, thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you this is your world and that you made it and you loved it. Lord, we're sorry we've not always got things right. Help us to see where our role is as individual Christians, where our role is as churches in caring and proclaiming and being part of the transformational power of your kingdom in this world. Lord, thank you. Amen. Steve, thanks so much. Thanks for what God's laid on your heart and for sharing that uh, with us. And uh, Steve and Gina, uh, well, they're with us for lunch, but um, you're not invited for lunch. But I was going to say, you're invited to speak to Steve and Gina after the service. Please just grab them and ask questions. There may be things that you want to talk to them about. We've got an eco group in this church. Those of you who are in the eco group, would you mind just standing up for a second, please? I, th- I think, ah, we're all here. We're all here. So this is the group. Um, hang on a second, John. So Lee's our leader. He's the boss. And uh, we've been meeting regularly and pray for these guys. As we, we, we've been thinking about these five areas um, from the uh, Arosha Eco Church Survey. We've been, that's been a really helpful template for us. So we've been exploring that, haven't we? So uh, um, go and chat to Steve afterwards and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, that's it, I think, for now. How are we doing? Are we all right? <laughs>